This episode of Little Bit of Life podcast is sponsored by Four Canines. Their company means nothing but the best for your best friend. They started the company 10 years ago because they needed well-built seat covers for their car and they couldn't find one for their furry little friend. Their mission is very simple, bring you innovative, high-quality products that will withstand any adventure and back them with exceptional customer service. I am absolutely in love with their seat covers and their cargo liners, especially when I'm on the go. But it's really difficult because I have two different sized dogs. I have a 12-year-old Mastiff who is a senior. She's about to be 12 years old. And I have a one-year-old French Bulldog that, let's be real, he hops from the front to the back to the front. And it's so frustrating, especially on an adventure trip with him. But my senior, she likes to lounge and just lay in the back and see the sights. But the Frenchie has to be right in my lap and he has to be right back with his sister, which makes it really hard for car seat and cargo liners because there's hair everywhere and guess what with a black interior it's frustrating but I want them to be comfortable and I want myself to be comfortable as well that is when I found four canines I am obsessed and the best part is we ordered one of their cargo liners for my hatchback civic and we also have an off-road jeep and it fits in both exceptionally well super easy to put up we simply just put the cargo liner in the very back of the SUV or we can also do it in the car it attaches right to the front seat covers on the headrest and guess what you just pull that liner and it is grab and go ready for your next adventure and the best part when you get home and you're tired and you're ready to just unpack you simply just unhook it pull it out it can go in the washing machine or it's super easy to just grab and go especially on this trip we went mudding with our dogs and guess what we were able to pull it out wash it off and put it right back in on the go This very special episode is also great because this is perfect, especially for today's episode with our Blue Line Furry Friend families. Make sure that you order for that cop car, get that seat cover and that seat liner. And guess what? For today's listeners, they are giving everybody a special discount code. Make sure you go to their website at 4k9s.com and use the discount code LBL15 for 15% off everything today. Again, make sure you go to 4k9s.com and use the discount code LBL15. LBL15 for 15% off everything because nothing but the best for your best friend. Welcome to Little Bit of Life Podcast. I'm your host, Tabitha, better known as Little on social media. A lot of you may know me from social media, but Little is shown off the apps. This podcast is dedicated to having the real, raw, and occasional chats on topics of what we seem to think but don't say. Special guests will join in that have impacted me along the way. Very little is left off limits. Enjoy on your favorite streaming platform, watch live videos of interviews on YouTube, and let's dive into some topics together. Hey guys, welcome into another episode, Little Bit of Life podcast here with your host, Little. We see this in our classrooms. We see it on campuses. We see it on our streets, in our families, in our workplaces, and yes, we see it in our friends. But the one place that we may not be focusing and looking is mental health in regards to our Blue Line Police family. Today, I have on a very special episode. His name is Eric with the founding company of Blue Grit Wellness, where they're helping great people become great cops and great cops to become better people. We are going to talk about everything on this episode in regards to the fantastic Blue Line family, officer burnout, how it feels from the community standpoint, as well as with their standpoint after the tragic death of George Floyd. And we are talking about all of the values and the purposes of our Blue Line family as soon as their boots hit the streets. Go ahead and sit back, enjoy, and make sure you're supporting our Blue Line family as we dive in to Blue Grit Wellness right here with Eric. 
Hey guys, welcome into another episode, a little bit of love podcast here with your host, Little. I have an amazing guest today when we are talking about Blue Line. We're talking about the police department, but we're also needing to talk about what comes with the job, which is mental health and mental health awareness and advocacy. Today, I have on Eric with us. He is the founder of Blue Grit Wellness. How's it going? It's good to see you. It's going well. Thanks so much for having me. So you've been in the police department for quite a while, but when we talk about those that are related in the Blue Line family, it's usually because someone that you knew, a family, a relative, is somebody that you looked up to growing up. But in your case, you just had this passion to go in and help people. So how did that kind of fit with your family of goals and you know everything in regards to you becoming a police officer? Yeah, it's a little different for me. Um, so this summer will be 16 years, which makes me a literal dinosaur in this career. <laughs> um, but it's gone quick. And I think I can say, and most people resonate with it, in some ways it's gone quick and sometimes it is at a dead crawl. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, for me, it was, uh, I'd say it's cultural. I think a lot of Asian Americans probably resonate with that, whether they're in first responder work or not. It's not super common. So I was, I was you know, uh, kind of groomed to do a more traditional um, white collar job. I'm um, mm-hmm. certainly like a huge push for as much schooling as possible. Master's degree would be, um, it was actually uh, said to be required. And then the doctor would be fantastic. And that's like <laughs> really the way to be the model son. Um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately going through college and doing some different courses, really found it wasn't for me. Um, i had always had an affinity for those that serve in all kinds of capacities, um, the military, um, law enforcement, firefighters. And so I think it was a little bit of coming of age where it, you know, it really took me becoming a literal adult and a a literal young man to reflect and say, Hey, like where, where can I make my impact in this world? And where can I do the thing um, that is boots on the ground, like literally. And it, it was really college, right? I saw a lot of, a lot of drug use um, around Seattle uh, where I went to school. I saw a lot of crime. Um, you know, my car was broken into like three times when I was just trying to do like one of those college painting businesses, you know, so I didn't really have anything awesome, but, you know, just trying to scrape by and, and help pay for things. And, you know, you really get a sense of, I think just the everyday person just trying to do their thing. Um, at the same time, you know, a lot of guys and gals I lived around friends that are being harassed by, you know, uh, people that are having mental health disorders and drug use. And so, it really just became us, I guess, this soul search where, you know, halfway through college, I was just like, you know, what, what's the big risk? Like, it it can't be that complicated. Um, (laughs) Let's just throw my name in the ring and, and see how it goes. So I ended up actually testing, like my senior year for fire and police and uh, true to true to form, true to the adage, it was extremely competitive to try to get into fire. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think everything happens for a reason. And I, I especially think that as the older I get, but Um, I didn't get a single interview for fire, but then police with a much lower written score. Um, it was like, once I figured out how to interview, um, it's like people were trying to break down my door. And so, um, that summer, you know, I, I got hired on by my local police department, um, South Seattle down here. And I've been with them here, uh, for, yeah, like I said, over 15 years. Well, thank you so much for everything that you put into your community, um, as well as like we're talking about, especially with this episode, you test your mental health on the daily. And so many that are listening don't understand, especially being a police officer and going into that role, 
your life just does not go back to normal, so to speak, when the uniform comes off. And it's something that a lot of young officers going in think, you know, oh, I'm just going to go in, I'm going to do, I'm going to save everybody and I'm going to, you know, get all the the drug dealers off the street and then I'm going to go home and I'm going to live my life. And I think that it's something that's, that's why we're doing this episode is so important because mental health is not talked about. So how did you get started with the Blue Grit Wellness? Where did that come from? Yeah, it came from a lot of different places, but um, ultimately it really came after the death of George Floyd where, um, and I think anyone that's been following me or just finds my page now is going to probably assume a lot of things about me. They're probably going to assume that I'm more extrovert and I don't mind being in the spotlight, um, being kind of a PR cop and, um, you know, having a lot of community engagement stuff. I mean, that all came really late in my career. So, you know, just in the last few years did I actually... Well, I would say get comfortable, but I'm still getting comfortable. Um, there's still a little bit of this weird like imposter syndrome with just putting my stuff out there, whether anyone cares. But um, ultimately, really, the, the catalyst was George Floyd. Mm-hmm. Um, it you know, The nation was reeling. Law enforcement was reeling. We're confused. We feel um, in some ways betrayed by something that could happen so egregiously um, with, with some of our own, right, as we would say. Um at the same time, there's so many officers that they, they really do put their heart and soul out in there in you know, every day in the community and to see all of their work or all of our work um, essentially, you know, cast aside or, you know, for people to feel so dejected or, um, or mistrusted, um, it really gave me the sense to, you know, put my stuff out there and share a little bit of my story. Um, I suppose what gave me the courage to do that was, just posting on Facebook, you know, just with the people that already knew me, whether it was in the job or out. And some of my reflections, um, I found doing some some social media posting a little bit, kind of like a public journal in some ways, I found it kind of cathartic. And it was really helpful for me just to share a lot of my events with what happened, a lot of how I felt like I could best contextualize it and move forward and try to elevate the profession as I could, right within the span of control that I had, which was me and those I work around. Um, and I got a lot of positive feedback from people I knew and some of them really, you know, they're kind of Facebook friends, right? They're kind of just connected through social through the years, but you don't really, you don't really know them. You just see the photos of family and stuff like that through the years. But I did get some good reception just saying, Hey, uh, man, I, I just really wish there was more cops like you. Like you didn't even want to be a cop, but you're just a good dude and you're a nice guy and we need more of that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, where some people might say that that was probably really positive, my initial reaction was frustration. And it was me saying, man, if you only knew, like I, sure, I was like the nice kid in high school and all that, but there are so many people that um, I have trouble turning it off sometimes. Um, but there are some people that they, they really put their heart and soul all their hours um, into just helping victims, helping people that are just, um, their lives are t- you know thrown upside down by these offenders and these people that would prey on them. Um, in all these different ways. And they're not in the spotlight, right? They're not on social media talking about it. So in some ways, I was like, man, if you only knew, and that kind of emboldened me to, you know, create this public facing uh, social media account, uh, Blue Grit Wellness. And part of it was really focused more on law enforcement at first. And the things that I felt more comfortable with were, hey, what can we control? We can't control the politics, we can't control the policies. But what we can control is um, taking care of our, ourselves, our mental and physical health. Those are things that definitely grew through my career. Um, you know, the physical side was just more being a young cop and wanting to be bigger, stronger, faster. 
Um, so learning a lot of that trial and error and just research. And so I could be a successful canine officer, which is a more physically demanding job. Um, but then late, years later, you know, just going through a lot of different traumatic situations and seeing that happen with my friends and peers, um, getting involved with our peer support program, and then just wanting to be, I suppose, another voice saying, hey, it's okay not to be okay. Uh, we need to talk about this stuff. We need to support each other. We can't just, you know, sweep it under the rug like generations past. And that's not to just disparage anyone it's just to say we have a heightened awareness and we need to keep building on that heightened awareness with regards to mental health Mm -hmm. kind of like we were talking about in the beginning yeah i have an episode that's coming up interesting enough with um, someone on the other spectrum within the fire department and it's something where for listeners so many think especially when i did polls you know with those that are in the civil service with police officers fire department ems you know you guys are all combined and when you know normal civilian life, when we did the poll, so many just thought, well, everything is handed to you when you go into the field that you are going into with police and fire and stuff. You have all these options that are fully accessible to you. And I think that's where the mental health barrier really needs to be broken down is, yes, you have all these opportunities, but especially within the role that you're in, to speak up is the very first option. And it's so difficult because in your role, you are almost felt like, you know, if you speak up, you're not able to do your job. It's a weakness. What are my peers going to think about me? What are they going to think of me? Is my superior going to think I'm able to do and fulfill my job? And that's always a fear when you link up police, fire, EMA, anything in regards to that mental health, because it is such a negative feeling when we talk about mental health of, you know, you're weak, you're not able to do a position. So I love that you're not only putting your safety at risk, because that's crucial to talk about when you're a police officer, especially with that George Floyd passing, there was a shift not only in how you were respected in uniform, but how you were targeted before that uniform ever even was put on, which is something that's really scary. So I'm very grateful that you created this account and you're very vulnerable with outside society because that's that's one of the first roles is you're vulnerable, which is very, very nerve wracking in regards to what you do. And then you add that on to mental health. Do you feel that there are enough options out there for mental health right now for, you know, with your departments? Or do you think we could do better with that? Yeah, I well, I appreciate you saying so. And uh, I think there are growing options. I think it's getting better. I'm really optimistic where it's going. And just to give some context, I mean, for, uh, you know, for a lot of outsiders, you have employee assistance programs, right? That's common with most workplaces. And then you have, you know, things that are built into policies. And, you know, whether it's, um, you know, a protocol for if someone is uh, experiencing um, a crisis. And we we generally know the things in the past we can take. The difficulty is what will happen when we get there. And mm-hmm. every department's going to be different. Um, every culture is going to be different. And what they say might be different than what's experienced. And that's, that's what's been shared to me um, actually through my page and through I started a podcast talking a little bit about this as well as other factors of law enforcement and wellness. But um, you know, I have friends that said, yeah, I, I recognize I needed help. I started talking to a therapist and then, um, you know, working with the department and the city, it was, it was pretty smooth. And I don't have a lot of complaints. Whereas you could have, you know, within a 10, 15 mile radius, someone else saying, yeah, I did all those things. And I felt like I was cast out. I felt mm-hmm. like I couldn't do my job. I lost my gun and my badge, which was grappling with just my sense of identity, right? Because it is so much more than a job for just about all of us, as much as we try to combat that as much as I try to preach that, hey, we cannot be our job. I know at the same time, in the same breath, I have to say, 
well to be an effective cop or effective dispatcher, effective corrections officer. You have to care more than just a job. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's tough, right? Because it is scary and we don't really know what's going to happen. But um, I say all that to say that there are so many other organizations, um, nonprofits, um, you know, whether it's crisis support, whether it's uh, foundations that help get people into treatment, whether it's inpatient, outpatient, I think just having these different modalities available or more readily available than I've seen historically in the last 10, 15 years is great. Um, I know that a lot of a lot of foundations and organizations are building up and ramping up more. Um, I know that a lot of first responder counselors and therapists are booked out and they're not able to readily take more clients, which says a couple things. It says that they're really busy, which is good, mm-hmm. but it says that we need more, which is, you know, not not great. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's good, right? If we recognize it, and we can and we can look for more. So uh, the fact that we have different options is good. And I think just, you know, even the example I threw out, right, you speak up, and then you don't feel like you're being taken care of the right way. At least there's other resources, right? Um, and the main thing is your health, right? Uh, I think if anyone's listening and saying, well, that is exactly my fear. And that's why I don't want to speak up. We'll start with your local anonymous, you know, crisis line and you can talk through someone and you know, it's anonymous, right? So you can hang up anytime if it's starting to sound scary, but at least talk to someone um, and then talk to those around you, right? Whether it's a peer, whether it's your family, your clergy. I mean, just, I think so many people that have been at that rock bottom can attest that just starting to talk makes all the difference. Mm-hmm. I've talked about it on numerous other episodes, especially when we're talking about the police departments. And I think it's also this divide or this line, which is really difficult, but it's something that we have to really respect and look upon. A lot of the big city, the larger city departments have a lot of options and a lot of the rural departments are not really caught up yet. And I think a lot of that was kind of in the spotlight with the George Floyd and with, you know, the lack of police officers in different regions and departments across the United States. And I think it really brought to light that we need to catch up. Departments need to catch up for all different regions because we have to protect those that are serving and protecting our community. Because if we're not taking care of your mental health at the end of the day, we're not going to keep the officers on the road and on the pavement for too much longer, which is going to be a decrease in those that are really wanting that drive. I mean, I know even growing up so many, I grew up in a blue line family of, I remember sitting by the CB radio and listening to my grandfather and, you know, going to the dispatch and sitting in the jail that drive isn't there anymore, which is really scary. And so I think it's important, especially with Blue Grit Wellness, you're you're creating that foundation to take care of your physical health, which is mostly what we think about in the the line of, you know, the blue line family of physically fit and keeping, but it's not exterior. It's that mental health that you have to be really focused on talking about the calls that you're taking. And a lot of times, you know, we don't talk about that within the family. It's not something you want to come home and tell your spouse or your partner or, you know, your close, you know, you don't want to worry your family. And I, and I think that's important with mental health. So I want to talk about a subject that's really crucial right now. It's that officer burnout. It is happening everywhere. So how do you think that that is going to affect the line of those that are coming in the younger group, so to speak of training and teaching them about mental health along with that physical attribute at the same time? Yeah, um, I'm pretty concerned, to be honest. And that's why I post a lot about it now. So if you look at my page, a lot of it is about recruiting. That's my that's my main full time for the last year or so until, you know, I, I took on training um, as well for the last six months. Um, but really, it's about, you know, how do we 
how do we build up our current officers, right? We went through or we're going through this national staffing crisis for officers for all the reasons you're saying, right? Um, it's more dangerous than ever. It's more, um, and I say dangerous, not just physically, but you alluded to this too, right? The public scrutiny, the vulnerability, the, um, I mean, it's, it's torn families apart. It's torn certain communities apart. If you're a cop, then, you know, you get all these defriend things on, you know, talking about social media. Um, so it's a real thing with the national scrutiny and the, and the, uh, the court of public opinion. Um, so it's hard enough to hire cops because it's hard enough to keep them. And so we're going to keep going on this thing until we have an adequate amount of support. Now, um, you know, those that are listening in, you know, know that I'm in the Pacific Northwest, the Seattle area, and where um, the politics might be a little more trying, but resources and funding might be a little bit better, which is kind of backwards to what you might think, but the pay is pretty good. So it's not super hard to find uh, people that will want to be cops um, at a better paying agency. However, for the greater area, yeah, everyone's still clamoring over the most uh, marketable candidates, all these things. Um, but really what it comes down to is I do worry about burnout because even though you can find people that want to do this job, they want to serve, they want to, they want to devote themselves and their energy. Uh, you know, how long can we maintain that? Right. As, as crime rates continue up and policies um, get stricter and, and I, I, I get all the reasons for it and I get the, I, I hear the arguments. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is not supposed to be polarizing. I'm not, I'm not trying to be, you know, on, you know, partisan, like one side of the spectrum. I'm just trying to say, Hey, in order to do this job to preserve public safety, we need to take care of our officers to a certain extent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just economics. It's just good business. Um, I do care about it past a business, but I, I'm trying to appeal to those that say, hey, like it's a job, just do the job. Well, we can't find people to do the job and keep doing the job. And so I think it comes between, you know, policy and practice, right? You can, you can have all these things and all these measures where you say, um, you're going to take care of the officers in this regard, but are you practicing it? You know, do we have the culture that is supporting law enforcement? And even within the culture, that can be challenging. So, you know, as a society, you know, are we incentivizing people to want to do this job? Um, and with public support, it's really hard. You know, we we teach our, our, I teach my recruits and new officers, hey, like control what you can control. And for them, that is, you know, that is their physical health. That is their mental health. But now we're, you know, I'm doing this deep dive into, you know, organizational wellness and, you know, just what helps private companies or organizations function. And it's, it's psychological safety, it's psychological trust. And that's something that we're really having a lot of trouble with in specifically police. So, you know, how do we inject that in amongst these conversations of wellness? So um, I went on a little bit of a, a little bit of a diatribe, but all to say, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely concerned. I think that I don't want to leave off with that. I think that there's a lot we can do, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, whatever level you're at, whether you're in the job, out of the job, whether you're the big boss or, you know, the lowly officer, lowly sergeant, um, certainly a lot we can do. We just keep talking about it and, you know, all come to the table. Mm-hmm. So I have to ask because everyone in a department is like a big family. You always have the goofball, the serious one, you know, what do all of your uh, fellow officers think about what you're doing and posting and the movement that you're really creating? Because I got to know what happens in that department. Are they, were they all on board or were some of them like, what do you think you're doing right now? You're on social media. Why? <laughs> I'm sure all of the above, all of the above. Um, you know, I've always, this is kind of a, 
this kind of leads into, you know, my conversations with new officers and recruits is, and I've even put this out on my social, which is, you know, you kind of have to embrace the haters and know what you're doing and why you're doing it. Mm -hmm. And hopefully that strengthens your resolve. Like, to be honest, I wish I, I wish I could give two, you know, S's on what anyone had to say, but I can, I can recognize that the doubters, the loud objectors, whether it's something I'm doing literally in the job or whether it's social media, um, I, it bothers me that they bother me at all, Mm -hmm. but you know, I recognize it and move on and it's not to sound cheesy, but it is really, uh, validating and gratifying when it's the younger officers oftentimes or some of my peers right um just being able to connect with cops from um all over the nation or canada just to say hey i I found your page immediately i I know that you get it and i i think the same and just to be able to talk with some of them um chat with some of them or even have them on my podcast like to show that you're not alone in this um to know that it's, it's a worthy conversation and a worthy endeavor and it's really what we need. Like we can't keep doing the same thing we've been doing because mm-hmm. you know, it's not sustainable. And clearly we're in that, we're beyond that crisis point. So really we need to change some things, um, how we look at the culture. Yeah, I agree. If we have an officer or even a high ranking an admin or even a dispatcher, anyone that's in that civil service and they're listening and feel, you know what, I'm at that point where like, I'm burned out. I can't do it anymore. I just feel like no one's listening. They don't understand me, but I want to talk to somebody, but I don't know the the first direction that I would need to take. What would your advice be if they're listening right here, right now? Yeah. My first thing is if you have a peer support program, like use it. Um, usually I, peer support is the most tangible. It's people working alongside you. So they get it right. So you, you already have that addressed. Now, if you're uncomfortable, like I said, check in with your local crisis line. Uh, if you're at that, at that point, right. Um, you know, for us, it's code Four Northwest. Um, you know, that's a, you know, 24 seven hotline that if someone's in that crisis moment, then they can call, right. Cause you don't, you won't be able to necessarily talk to a practitioner right away. Mm -hmm. Um, But they can also hook you up with that. And I know there's a lot of examples of that that exist. But if it's more of someone that um, maybe they're like, well, that's not really applicable to me. I'm just I'm just stressed out and burned out. Um, I would just say, like, you know, talk to your your circle. Right. Talk to your spouse, your partner, your family, your friends and get out. Right. You have leave. And I'm saying, like, just take some time um, because that could really that might be all you need just to you know, reinvigorate and come back or consider a different assignment, consider a different department. Sometimes that can get you more life out of this. Or ultimately, when you do the soul search, it's not for you. Like some of my best friends have left the job in the last few years. And I can honestly say, you know, even when we were at a crising, uh, sorry, staffing crisis, Mm -hmm. I was like, hey, I get it. Like, thank you for your time. Thank you for your service. I think that we don't acknowledge that whether you're a firefighter or a dispatcher, um, why should we not appreciate and look at your four years of shifts and all the trauma you're exposed to? Why should we not look at that as a public service where, hey, if you did it four years like a like a military career, like that's something to be really proud of and that our community should be proud of you for doing and thank, very thankful for. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's not really that translation. And I think that's unfortunate. Um, so whether it's three, five, ten years, like that might be an awesome career and you can move on to do something else. If you're going to do 20 or 30, then fantastic, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I, that's inspirational at times. I I like to say I would love to do 
a full career. And I don't know whether that's possible. Like, I don't know what things I'm going to encounter. I want to be fair to myself and fair to my family that, you know, all it takes is one or two bad calls and it might not be my choice or it might be my choice and it might be for the best. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that's also a practical conversation to have with people, um, whether they're in the job for a while or whether they're brand new is, you know, to have that recognition. It's not admitting defeat. It's just saying, hey, like brass tacks, we talk contingencies all the time. That's what makes us good cops, um, thinking worst case scenarios. So let's apply that to ourselves and give ourselves grace and give others grace as well. I like how you mentioned you may be in that crisis moment, but you also might be you know, in the burnout. There's different phases of mental health. I think that's really important and it's something that you touched on that I wanted to go back to because especially with anyone that is in civil service, everyone is different. Your calls are different. Your experiences are different. How you process things are different. So when we talk mental health as a whole, it's really hard. Because like you said, someone may be thinking, okay, I'm just tired or I took a really bad call, but someone might be on the complete opposite spectrum of, you know, it's really that time that they need to get help. So if you're listening and you think, you know what, I'm not in that moment, you might just be in a different bracket. Everyone is different in regards to how that they handle their mental health, how they work through different stresses and scenarios. And I think that's really important to touch on because I don't want to lose anybody quite yet if they're listening of, nope, not there yet. Because I think that's almost the stubbornness that I think that you're all ingrained with. I don't need it. I'm not there yet. And it, you, you don't have to wait until it's that final, you know, tipping point. It's something where everything kind of builds up and you don't have to be at the very edge of the bridge in order to realize, okay, now is when I need help. It's little moments that it's not giving in or, you know, feeling I couldn't do it. I wasn't able to. It's just finding where you're at in regards to how you're handling the stresses of your job. And then how you're handling stresses of life and how you're combining those. And sometimes we just need a little bit of help. And it's not, you're not weak or you're not not able to do something. But it's just, like I said, that moment and the tears of where you're individually at. I think that's really important to look at, especially for a department to do that too. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And like, this just popped in mind. So I want to mention, everyone's got their thing. But if you don't try some things out, you won't know what that is, right? Mm-hmm. And some people, they're like, hey, I don't really need to talk to anyone. I just need to get out in nature. I need to bug out get on a mountain where I can't not hear a single soul. And if I'm there for a day, then I'm, you know, it's like a reset button. And to recognize that and know that is so powerful. Um, you know, even talking to someone, um, and I can even say like within the last few months, I was like, you know, I, I kind of, I'm starting to feel super stressed. I'm thinking about work all the time. I'm talking about it with all my friends. I'm talking about it with my wife and that's not their roles. Like it is, it's fine to chat and vent and, you know, think out loud or talk out loud. Um, but, I was realizing it was just really draining on me. So I was like, you know what? I'm I'm just going to find a new therapist. Like I don't, I don't need an emergency response therapist. It's just general life and just stress, uh, work-life balance. So I just need to talk to a dude and went on psychologytoday.com as you know, it was presented to me in a training. And uh, I appreciate this, this, uh, this trauma practitioner, but his thing was, um, you don't need first responder trauma unless you're talking about first responder stuff. Like a lot of times the things stressing you out are just family and kids and work and sleep. Um, so I just took his advice and I just went on there and found someone that worked within my network. Um, it's all pretty easy to navigate. You know, I checked a couple boxes, which were like, you know, men's issues and, uh, work stuff and, um, and whatnot. And I just, you know, you can look at little profiles and I started talking to this dude and I'm like, okay, I can talk to this guy. Like I, I, I like, I like his energy. I like what, what he's about. Um, 
and I just felt better, you know, just talking to a professional, right? It wasn't um, super in the weeds, but it was just helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just want to say, you know, it's just like most things. Um, I've definitely talked to a psychiatrist or psychologist that I would not want to entertain a single minute more of, right? And that was mm-hmm. specifically my pre-hire and my post-shooting, uh, uh, I guess, psychologist, right? It was who the city assigned. And literally after that very kind of scary, crazy moment, I felt pretty good. But I was like, if I didn't feel good, this guy wouldn't know it. Mm-hmm. And he's basically just signed me off to go back to the street. Um, and so I was able to circle back. And so I'll say, yeah, take ownership, guys and gals. Um, you know, I went to my department and said, hey, this guy is not the guy. And pretty quickly, they're like, okay, cool. We, we appreciate that insight. And we'll find another practitioner. And they did right away, right? This guy was just kind of a crackpot and relatively useless. So um, all to say, just like a medical doctor, right? Get a second opinion. Mm-hmm. If you don't like what your doc says and you have leg pain, your doc says chop it off, then maybe go talk to someone else and see what they think. <laughs> exactly. Well, I love the motto that you have on the Blue Grit Wellness. It's helping great people become cops and great cops to become better people. I love that because like we've said through this entire episode, there's nothing wrong with you. You're not broken. You're not defective. You're just yourself. And I always say, it's like when you go to the gym and you're lifting weights, It's gonna, you're going to be a little bit sore in the beginning. You're going to want to quit. You're going to want to give up, but you're going to be stronger the more strength you start to build and it's practice. And it's something where your mind, you need to treat it as a muscle. You need to take care of it. You need to make sure that it's healthy and maintain yourself because at the end of the day, this job is very demanding, especially on young cops. And even those that are about ready on that cusp of retirement, you're just super close and you're there, but you're just getting burned out. So I really appreciate you coming on and speaking to so many. I think this episode really needs to be heard and shared with so many that are in that civil service. And even if you might know somebody, maybe they're a family member, it's your spouse, your partner, your family member, your mom, your dad, and you see some like, okay, they're they're just at that point where I think they might really benefit from hearing this. Give this a share because sometimes it's that little extra push that someone needs to hear it from someone else, especially when you're in that inner circle. You may think, oh no, I got it. Go ahead and send it. If you have that inclination or that gut feeling, go ahead and send it. But I really appreciate you coming on today and being vulnerable. I'm going to put all your information in the bio description. And if anyone is listening and you have questions, concerns, you don't know where to turn, send a message. He's fantastic. And he'll definitely help direct you. Or just like I said, be that kind of that, that counterpart that may make you realize, like he said, you're not alone in your feelings and you guys are all kind of going through the same thing. You may just not realize it yet. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. At the end of the day, it's just People being people, we deal with people problems. Let's just remember that we're people, be patient. And yeah, do send me a message. I'm happy to help, whatever that might be. If it's just trying to trying to help your own department, your organization with wellness, just some tips, like happy to do that. Great. Well, thanks again for coming on and be safe out there. And I can't wait to see what else is posted on your social medias and follow you along the way. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Little Bit of Life. Don't forget to rate, review, and follow today's episode on your favorite listening platform and share these stories to more that need to be in the know. Get in on the action with the podcast Facebook and follow the little adventures on Instagram at little cute one az. I'll catch you on the next episode.